0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, what's up everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com. It is Wednesday, October 9th, and you are listening to the Prospect Podcast. I'm gonna zero in on one quarterback prospect today, Justin Herbert from Oregon. I think that he's actually flying under the radar a little bit that although he's been on the draft radar for the last two years after a strong sophomore season, it's really all been about Tua Tagovailoa, his crazy productive start to the season. Joe Burrow kind of rising from obscurity to maybe being a first-round pick. And then, obviously, Jalen Hurts being such a great story going from Alabama and looking like another potential Heisman candidate in that Oklahoma system under Lincoln Riley. Justin Herbert's played in a lot of games on the Pac-12 network that not a lot of people get, a lot of late-night games. Uh, People saw him to start the season against Auburn. In that game, the offense was kind of stagnant in the second half. He was good. He wasn't great in that performance. That was one of the better defenses in the SEC that he faced. Um, So I think he's kind of been pushed off the radar a little bit. um, That people haven't really seen a lot of his games, a lot of his throws. I thought over the weekend in the win over California, and that secondary is probably the best secondary in the Pac-12, maybe right up there with Washington that under Chris Peterson almost always Has the best secondary in the Pac-12. There was a couple deep crossers in the first half. One to his tight end, Jacob Breland, who might end up being a first-round picker. Certainly a top 50, top 100 selection with the type of year he's having and just his athletic profile. Was through zone coverage, through a few layers of zone coverage down the field near the goal line. And right when I saw the throw, there was a lot of zip on it. It needed to have perfect ball placement. It did. It was over a couple linebackers, um, in front of a safety, between a corner. I thought Tua Tagovailoa couldn't have made that throw. That it needed to be on target, on time, and have a lot of velocity behind it. And that, to me, is the one area that is clearly an advantage in terms of being a draft prospect for Justin Herbert. His first interception of the season was to Ashton Davis, who's probably the best safety in the Pac-12, certainly the most rangy safety in terms of being that deep center fielder, kind of undercut a seam throw from Justin Herbert. But he made a variety of ridiculous throws. There was a fadeaway in the second half where he was under pressure, went about 35 yards in the air into the end zone. The receiver made a great diving catch. It kind of needed to be over the cornerback. It was. It was It couldn't have been placed any better. He just landed out of bounds. It was a fantastic throw. There was four or five throws made about 25 to 40 yards down the field from Justin Herbert in that game, in that win for Oregon, that were just next level, that looked like number one overall pick quality. So Justin Herbert, we are going to see some bigger games for him coming in the next couple weeks at Oregon. But right now, don't think of him as someone that's a late first-rounder. His athletic profile, his arm... His experience, I think, is really important. He's going to have a lot more experience than Tua Tagovailoa coming out, and a lot of any of these other quarterbacks. That Jalen Hurts had two years of starting experience, didn't throw the football a ton, one year at at Oklahoma, so one year of high quality production. Same thing for Joe Burrow. Justin Herbert's going to be the biggest, He's going to have the best arm, and he's going to be the most experienced. I think that he has a good chance to be the number one overall pick and something I feel more confident about, I think he has a really good chance to be my number one overall quarterback. We're not even halfway through the college football season, so there's a lot more film to get to, of course, but Justin Herbert, to me, just looks like someone who not only can go really high, it's not just about where you get selected, it's how good you're going to be in the NFL. That's what I look at more so than the slot in which a player is selected. I think he can be a franchise quarterback in the NFL, at least from what I've seen through six weeks this season and over the past two years with him as a starter at Oregon. Instead of doing big board watch this week, I'm going to highlight a really intriguing matchup that I'm going to be watching very closely. may even do an article on it next week at cbsports.com. in the Iowa-Penn State game. This weekend, Yatir Gross Matos against Left tackle, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. These are two players that you look at any mock draft dating back to the mocks that come out the week after a draft to big boards. These two players were probably in the first round in the vast majority of all those on the internet, including mine. Gross Matos, to me, and this is not hyperbole, this is not exaggeration. He looks like Miles Garrett. The year before Miles Garrett was the first overall pick, he's listed at 6'4 and 265 right now, and he looks like he could add 10 to 15 pounds to that frame. He's a really high motor player. He had 20 tackles for loss last year with eight sacks. He already has seven tackles for loss and five and a half sacks this season. He's just really long and rangy and athletic, good burst off the ball. That high motor that I alluded to earlier I think is really important because he can sustain that speed from his get off around the corner. Pretty good hand usage. He's not just running into offensive linemen and beating them with power. Is he a great with his hands? Not yet. He's only a junior. But this will be a really big test for him against Tristan Wirfs, who's probably the most powerful blocker in college football, I think he's come a long way from where he was early last year when he was only a sophomore, and he was playing at 20 years old, but he was overwhelmingly powerful, but his feet were pretty slow, and I thought he was a dominant run blocker, but I thought, okay, this is someone that's going to be a right tackle next season at Iowa, move inside to guard at the NFL level. And there's no problem with that. I think the guard position is important in the NFL today with how many good interior pass rushers they are and, and how much havoc they can wreak if they can beat you on the inside. I, I think it's it's not a, necessarily a downgrade for a player to go from tackle to guard. He's had to play left tackle this season, Tristan Wirth. There's been some injuries. His teammate Alaric Jackson, who also is an NFL prospect, has been injured and the film that I've watched from Worth so far, no, he's not someone that looks like um, the most athletic left tackle in the NFL. But at his size, he's a wide body with his upper body strength and his ability to anchor. I think his kick slide in pass protection is just quick enough. And he knows how powerful he is. He uses his hands very well. A lot of times it's one punch to the uh, defensive lineman and the play's over. Um, so this will be a really interesting matchup because the gross motto's like I said, 6'4", 265, looks like he could be almost 280 because there's a lot more that he could add to that big, long, athletic first-round pick frame. He's going to give Wirfs some problems with his burst, I think, but I really am interested in to see this high-profile first-round-against-first-round-pick matchup. And maybe after this game, I'll be talking about next week, one of these players rising up my board because this is not playing against an FCS school or a lower-level Rutgers in the Big Ten. This is someone that is going to be playing on Sundays and is probably going to be a good NFL player and go in the first round. Moving over to wide receiver watch. Have a theory about this wide receiver class. I wrote about it a few weeks ago that this receiver group was really living up to the hype, especially when you look at the depth, the maybe unprecedented depth at Alabama, C.D. Lamb in Oklahoma, T. Higgins at Clemson, Jalen Rieger at TCU, people, LaVisca Chanel at Colorado, there's just a list goes on. There's so many wide receivers that we came into the season being high on that were producing pretty well early in the season. But I think it's going to be, I think boards are going to be all over the place for draft analysts like myself, and especially for NFL teams, because think about what we're most likely going to see. Jerry Judy is probably not, or there's a good chance that he's not going to lead Alabama in receiving. Devonta Smith had that 274-yard game last week. Henry Ruggs has had some big games. Judy's been consistent each week, and he's had a few high-producing games, but It's going to be a really interesting way to look at him as a prospect if he's the third leading receiver at Alabama and people are wanting to put him at number two overall, number three overall. LaVisca Chennault is out with an undisclosed injury. He took a pop pass two weeks ago, took it for 25, 30 yards, came out of the game, never returned, did not play this past weekend against Arizona, How long is he going to be out? And he was injured last year for for quite a bit. So if he's going to enter the draft, there's going to be those injury concerns. What what was the injury this season? Jalen Rieger's numbers are not going to be big at TCU. He had his best performance of the season with two touchdowns, four grabs. Over the weekend in a loss to Iowa State, but that quarterback play at TCU is just not good. He's very talented, he can separate, he's really fast down the field, and for an under-six-foot wide receiver, he has, I think, awesome contested catchability. Kind of reminds me of Tyler Lockett in a way, that Lockett at Kansas State was a lot like Rieger, that he was explosive down the field, electric with the ball in his hands, a punt returner, kick returner, but when they threw him up the football, even though he was 5'8", 5'9", or 5'10", He was coming down with the football a lot. He had great leaping ability, good awareness, just had that my ball mentality that I like to say. Jalen Rieger has that too, but we're going to look at his statistics and say, is this a first-round pick? Is this a top-15 talent at under six foot without that production? I don't think it's that big of a deal, but I think some teams will and some analysts will. Tylen Wallace at Oklahoma State finished second in the Bolitnikov last year. He's going to have a big year. This season already is. Had 11 catches for 83 yards, which is not really his normal stat line. Usually it's fewer catches and higher yardage. But that are making decisions at the NFL level are going to say he catches bubble screens and he runs go routes, maybe a slant from time to time. So he's going to get that limited route tree stigma on him. I think he's a good player. I don't think you need to run this crazy route tree right away. When you're in the NFL, but so you're talking about Judy, Chanel, that were probably the two most hyped wide receivers coming in to this college football season that are going to have weird labels on their profile during the pre-draft process. Rieger also got a lot of hype. He's not going to have the numbers that you're going to say, okay, yeah, he can do it with better quarterback play, which I think he can, but it's it's going to be a little bit seemingly more of a risky proposition with him. And then Tylen Wallace is going to be ultra-productive, but he's not going to run, he's not going to come into the league having run a variety of routes or having experience running a ton of routes in that wide-open, basketball-on-turf Oklahoma State offense. And one other player, I really like him, CeeDee Lamb, only has 18 catches thus far for Oklahoma, has had some big games, multiple touchdown games, three games though with two or fewer catches. Jalen Hurts is doing a really good job spreading it around at at Oklahoma. They have some younger players, some underclassmen that were big recruits at the receiver spot. Good tight ends. They get the backs involved, obviously, in that Lincoln-Riley offense. So, CeeDee Lamb is going to be similar to Jalen Rieger in that he's not going to have a crazy final season in terms of his statistics. And he's probably going to go in the first round, or he's probably going to be high on a lot of big boards, just not usually what we see normally we see the top couple wide receivers where the clear cut number one on their team produce like crazy as juniors or seniors before they enter the NFL and I don't know I mean this is a as deep of a wide receiver class as I have scouted since the 2014 group but it's just interesting how over the past couple weeks some of these players haven't had big games and they're kind of on track to have these unique labels to them during the pre-draft process one other wide receiver that I do want to talk about he was my honorable mention this week for my wide receiver watch article on CBS Sports.com. it's up there right now James Prochet from SMU 6-0 SMU after that three overtime win comeback great comeback in the fourth quarter over Tulsa over the weekend he averaged over 20 yards per catch in 2017 I remember scouting him and seeing him in games when I was scouting uh Cortland Sutton and Trey Quinn a few years ago and he was this man this little slot receiver is pretty good he's only a sophomore then last year he had over 90 grabs over a thousand yards and this year he's really producing for them has already seven touchdowns had two scores in that comeback against Tulsa both were deep balls down the field one was made with one hand as he kind of had to keep the cornerback off him down the field had about a step and a half or had a half step on him had to dive for the football kind of cradle it between his shoulder and his hand it was an awesome diving catch and then the game winner in the third overtime was a slot fade about 20 or 30 yards down the field he had to kind of contort his body backwards it was a back shoulder throw Plucked the ball out of the air, just got his foot in bounds as he was getting shoved out of bounds. They called it incomplete on the field. They reviewed it. His foot was down. He made another catch attempt where he just plucked the ball above his head very easy, just got his foot out of bounds on that play earlier in the game. He had 11 catches for 153 yards and two scores. He's someone that I think we're going to be hearing more about, especially as SMU wins more games. Moving over to my young player segment, I'm going to talk about one player today, DJ Chark from the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was not even in my top 150 two years ago. I thought he was a very linear player at LSU, ran in the four threes, but was kind of lanky, didn't do well against press coverage, was good after the catch in that he could catch a slant and just run straight down the field, didn't see him running a variety of routes, was pretty good in contested catch situations. I just thought he was really going to get beat up at the line of scrimmage. He's looked like a number one wide receiver with Gardner Minshew. He has at least four catches in every game this year. His stat line is 27 catches, 485 yards, five touchdowns, two 100-yard games, including last week, against James Bradbury, one of the longer, more athletically impressive perimeter cornerbacks in the league he had 11 catches 164 yards two touchdowns he's using not only that 4-3 speed but his big body to make tough catches near the sideline I think he and Gardner Minshew have a great rapport on those back shoulder throws he's great on the deep cross you do not want to try to travel with him across the field in man coverage on that route And he can just beat you flat out with his speed down the field on a go route. DJ Chark, to me, was someone that wasn't ever going to be this productive or was going to take him maybe another season. And he has played very well for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Gardner Minshew, by the way, has moved ahead of Lamar Jackson on my season grades for first and second year quarterbacks. His season grade right now is a B. Lamar Jackson is a B-. minus. Gardner Minshew was awesome against Carolina. It was not... Kyle Allen outperforming him it was Christian McCaffrey in that Panthers defense down the stretch making a few plays in that game that were the difference but Gardner Minshew made high quality throw 15 to 30 yards on the field time and time again in that game had multiple chances to tie it late or take the lead couldn't do it but did drive Jacksonville down the field he can make some throws that look like they might get intercepted or they should have been intercepted he'll come back the next play Deliver a strike under pressure. So Gardner Minshew's been the most impressive first or second year quarterback thus far. No one saw that coming. So hats off to him, and hats off to his second year wide receiver DJ Chark, who has been a number one wideout for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're playing in a wide open air raid offense, but is that really a negative today? I don't think it is. James Proche has been very productive. Since his freshman season with the Mustangs, and he's someone, he's six foot, 193 pounds. He's not a tiny slot receiver. His game is predicated on his speed and yards after the catch. And that what I've been impressed with is his ball skills this season that he is very comfortable making catches with his arms extended, a lot of hands catches, just plucks the ball out of the air. James Prochet, keep him on your radar. I think we're going to be talking about him as maybe a day two pick when the draft season really rolls around. All right, that'll do it today. I'm Chris Trapasso, and you are listening to The Prospect Podcast.